B-52. B-52. I'm heading down the Atlanta Highway Looking for a love getaway Heading for a love getaway I got me a car, it's as big as a whale And we're heading on down for the love shack Four? I got me a Chrysler, it sets about 20 So hurry up and bring your jukebox money The love shack is a little old place where we can get together Love Shack Baby A Love Shack Baby B-52 B-52 Hello treasure seekers and welcome to Shandy Andy's Unguarded Treasure B-52 This is Series 1, Episode 23. Well, how about that? I've got myself a piece of intro music, and thank you so much to TJ Drennan for sending that to me. TJ, of course, is the creator of the Melodrious Miasma Meltdown and the Cult Orifice Outrage podcasts, both of which are excellent and well worth checking out if you haven't done already. I feel almost like a proper member now of the uh, Anchorite podcaster community now I have my own little intro, which is excellent. Of course, it's going to be the most professional thing on this podcast. It's all downhill from here. Let's start off with listening to some messages that were sent in response to my previous podcast on the OSR and labels. Hey, Shandy, Andy, Jason here, Nerds RPG Variety Cast. Enjoyed your OSR episode. I, unlike you, I, I well, not unlike you, but I, I kind of prefer to mix up my genres. I think variety is a spice of life. So while I do enjoy fantasy, I do, especially heroic fantasy, I like to mix it up with westerns and sci-fi and cyberpunk and, you know, whatever else. So I, I do like to mix my games up. I enjoy the older systems like you do. You know, I started gaming in 83, 84, something like that. But I, I like some of the newer systems too. Like if, if I had to pick one system to play Heroic Fantasy with, I would pick Barbarian's Lemoria, which isn't OSR at all. But that's by far my favorite way to play a Heroic Fantasy game. Um, it's also my favorite, you know, to a sword and sorcery game. I think it's perfect. So I, I quite like ICRPG, which again isn't, you know, an older game by any means or older style even the way it plays. But that said, you know, I've played the older games. You know, I started playing 83, 84, something like that. I have OSE. I think it's perfectly fine. It doesn't excite me, to be honest, but I'll probably end up running OSE here at some point. I've got an idea. It's not going to be just, it's going it's to have a twist on it, but I'm going to use the rules as written, you know. Um, and, and I would definitely play in BX or, or 1E game or, you know, whatever. I, it doesn't bother me at all. Um, I think the big thing to me is just to actually get the games at the table and have something the group enjoys playing. So if we can find a system that everybody likes playing, that's great. And if that system happens to be OSE and the genre's fantasy, then that's much better than not playing at all. As far as definitions go, I think you're right. Terms and definitions are important, so we know we're talking about the same thing. And sometimes they're pretty hard because some of these terms are really nebulous. 
So, you know, OSR. OSR is super nebulous. Indie game, story game, adventure game, you know, all these things, you know, they seem, oh, well, that's easy to define, but really it's not. And especially for people that aren't moving in the same circles you are, or aren't on the Audio Dungeon Discord, we're not talking about it. If they just tune in the podcast, it's hard to know what these things are. So I think it is important to make sure we're using terms. Spike Pick, Colin Green, over in the Spike Pick podcast, talked about not dumbing things down. I knew that's a bad way to say it, but using simpler terms and not using jargon when we're talking about things for the listener just tunes in. I think there's a lot to that, that when we go to define things, not use industry terms or, or terms that we would only know because we've read them on the audio dungeon or read them on, you know, a blog or something like that. So I think that's important as we have discussions on the air so we can be more accessible to everybody else. Yeah, the one thing I just wanted to clear up, Jason, straight away is I do enjoy playing other genres um, other than fantasy. Um, it's just my preferred one's fantasy. So, you know, if I walked into a convention, for example, and I was given the opportunity to pick, I'd probably, you know, go for some type of fantasy game before I'd pick a sci-fi or a horror, you know, or a cyberpunk one. Um, but that's not to say I don't enjoy playing those other genres. I've played Shadowrun, which I'd count as cyber punk, I guess. Uh, I'm a big fan of Call of Cthulhu, which I always think of as being horror. Sci-fi is the one area I've probably not really delved in enough uh, and need to. I mean, I played The Aftermath, which I guess comes under that. That's post-apocalyptic one. But uh, um, apart from that, I can't think of any sci-fi I've played. So that's possibly something I do need to uh, sort out, because I might well find out I actually really enjoy playing sci-fi. I think you bring a very interesting point about Barbarians of Lemuria, which uh, you know I'm a huge fan of after you um, very kindly ran it for me and a few of the other anchorites, Jason. And although I agree it's not what I'd call OSR as such, it's part of what I'd call the fluff around, for want of a better phrase, the OSR. It's certainly associated with OSR, uh, and that's how I first sort of picked up on it. Uh, and when you mentioned it, thought, oh, yeah, I'd like to give that a, a go. And I, I, I do think that, that this sort of fluff around the uh, label that you've got is quite often of interest um, in itself, even if it doesn't come directly under the label. And it's a good way of, um, you know, exploring and coming out of your comfort zone a little bit. For example, my uh, liking for BX and OSE is to see other games which are sort of associated with it, not necessarily closely associated, I don't think, with Barbarians of Lemuria, but it's always sort of mentioned in that conversation. Um, so I think that's possibly something that we need to think about. It's not not just what comes directly underneath the label, but what's also associated with it. And Jason, I think you're absolutely bob on about saying that we need to use terms which are understood by everyone. I think it can be quite difficult sometimes. <clears throat> I mean, I find uh, I'll pick out one term which I think is quite difficult to understand, and I'm still not convinced I've fully grasped it the crunchiness of a game. What a bizarre term that is. I've never quite, you know, real, I don't understand where that comes from. Um, I, I much prefer, and I know I'm probably in a minority here, I like the rules light 
rules heavy turns because to me that that tells me straight away the rules are light or they're heavy and i associate heavy with there being more of them to make them heavy so i don't know that 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 but i know a lot of people don't like that term rules heavy they don't see it as being a good description so we're probably on a hiding to nothing here trying to actually pick a label that works for everybody i i I just don't think it's possible but you are absolutely right we should try and be more accessible and try and use descriptions and labels that actually do mean what they say they mean so i'm completely with you on that and that's given me some food for thought so thank you very much for that jason Well, what have I got myself into here then? It appears I'm running a Holmes D&D session at a local game shop in a week or so. It all came about when they were given some donations of some old role-playing books and one of them just happened to be the Holmes D&D book. They posted on the internet and I uh, posted a reply saying, wow, you know, I've got that exact copy myself in my uh, uh, library of uh, or collection of RPG stuff and they immediately came back and said oh why don't you run something and to be honest I'd had a couple of beers so I thought what a splendid idea that was and I've ended up uh, committing to do that so we created an event on Facebook put it out there there's a couple of people who are definitely interested and we'll wait and see whether we can garner enough uh, interest to actually run the game, which would be great. Well, I can probably run it with two. I'm going to run the uh, Tower of Xenopus, as it's uh, called. In other words, the scenario in the back of that uh, original Holmes rule book. Um, to be honest, I, I, I have a confession here. I've never actually ran Holmes D&D before. It was before my time. Um, and I don't quite know why how I ended up with the rule book. I, I just got a feeling I picked it up wondering what it was in the early 80s because uh, I, I was a Mulvey child and didn't quite realise what this other blue book was. Um, but, I mean, I've read it through several times back in the 80s and a couple of times since I got back into role-playing. And it, let's be honest, it's not a massive difference uh, between Mulvey and uh, Holmes. Um, so I just need to re- read up on the a few little differences that there are and then um, I'm probably going to go with some uh, I'm going to do a load of pre-gen characters uh, and offer to let them roll them up on the day as well because to be honest I, I would imagine I mean Marvel character takes 10-15 minutes tops to roll up so the Holmes one will be uh, you know possibly even slightly quicker than that uh, and then probably allow each player to have a couple of characters each uh, to take down there and then it won't matter if there's um you know, a few character deaths will keep people still interested. They won't be uh, out of the game, as it were. So, yeah, quite looking forward to that. It'll be good fun. Now, I'm certainly no expert on Holmes D&D, but what I do know is that it was um, released as a box set in 1977, and also the rule book itself was released separately so you could purchase um, that as well I, my understanding is is that it effectively incorporated the original D box set plus the greyhawk supplement 
into um, a new format which was easier to understand and was generally regarded as being an introduction for the advanced Dungeons and Dragons which uh, Gary Gygax was writing at the time and I believe that the Monster Manual was released the same year as the uh, D&D Homes set. Now as an aside, uh, and this is something I didn't realise until very recently, is that Games Workshop in the UK released their own version of the rulebook, which had a, a different uh, cover and different illustrations in. Um, but I have never seen a copy of that. Um, and I, I must admit, uh, I'd love to actually have a flip through a copy if I ever got the chance or even purchase it. But um, Having a look on eBay, there's a, nothing there showing up, so I, I would imagine that that's probably quite a rare thing and probably quite expensive because the actual homes box sets themselves sort of go for 50, at least 50 quid, I think, at the moment. So it's a, a little out of my price range, but uh, certainly something I'd like to pick up, I think. Um, uh, as I, I mentioned in the other segment, I do have the actual blue rule book. And my recollection is, and I'm not 100% certain about this, but I think I did pick it up at a games workshop probably about uh, 1982 or 83. Um, so that there were still copies about even after the Mulvey was uh, a basic uh, box set was released. Probably worth mentioning that my understanding that the box set itself included the uh, rule book it also included um, a module which i believe originally was in search of the unknown but then in later printings um, included the keep on the borderlands and i understand that it came with dice uh, and a crayon uh, but there were some box sets that came with chits instead of the dice so Probably a lot for collectors in there, I would imagine. Uh, <laughs> I'll be brutally honest, I'd be quite happy to get any one of those box sets at all. The following segments are just giving some examples of perhaps um, differences between the Mulvey and the Blue Ho and the Holmes D&D versions, and also some descriptions of what you find actually within the rule book. The Holmes rule book. Um, differs from the original D&D in that it's the first one to go into the A4 size. It's um, paperback, not hardback, uh, and it's 48 pages long. It uses the usual six ability scores, strength, intelligence, wisdom, constitution, dexterity and charisma. And the bonuses are not as... Um, <laughs> Not as obvious as they are in the Mulvey. They're uh, a bit random, to put it mildly. Um, for example, Constitution, six a lot uh, or less, subtract one from each hit die. Seven to fourteen, no bonus. Fifteen to sixteen, add one to each hit die. Seventeen, add two to each hit die. And eighteen, add three to each hit die. The character classes available are um, Fighting Men, Magic users, clerics, thieves, dwarves, elves, halflings. So it's a, a, a racist class system that they use here. 
There is a note that um, under additional character classes where it says there are a number of other character types which are detailed in the advanced Dungeons and Dragons. There are subclasses of the four basic classes. They are paladins and rangers, illusionists and witches, monks and druids and assassins. There are half-elves. So it shows there that uh, obviously even when this was published they were aware of where the advanced Dungeons and Dragons was going. The one interesting one I find is, is that witches never made it uh, into advanced Dungeons and Dragons and I do wonder what happened to them along the way. I note that in the Holmes D&D there were actually five character alignments. There was lawful good Chaotic good, lawful evil, chaotic evil and neutral. And all thieves were neutral. So that's an interesting take. It must be noted as well that the Holmes D&D only covered character levels 1 to 3. Something which Mulvey uh, also did when uh, he released his version of Basic some four years later. One difference between um, the original Holmes D&D and the Mulvey one was that in initiative, in that the Holmes D&D initiative went on dexterity alone. So in other words, whoever had the highest dexterity strikes first. And that was notable because a lot of the monster stats uh, always included a dexterity score uh, to allow the DM to uh, know which uh, went first, the characters or the monsters. There's also um, quite a nice example of play, which is effectively done in dialogue between the DM and the caller. So it, sh it shows you that, uh, really how to play the game. Uh, certainly enough examples, I think, to get you going, which was precisely what this um, basic... Uh, booklet was designed to do. The Holmes D&D also includes uh, an example dungeon um, at the towards the back of the book, which uh, includes oh, must be about over a dozen locations uh, in a a scenario that's generally called the um, Tower of uh, Xenophus, although it's given no name in the actual book. Um, and it's not a bad little scenario, I think, and it's, uh, as I say, the one I intend to run. There is, of course, an OSR version of the Holmes D&D, which is called Blue Home Journeyman Rules, and that's by Michael Thomas from Dreamscape Design. And I do indeed have a uh, hard copy of that. And that takes... Um, it, it follows on in the tradition of the original, but actually takes uh, character levels up to 20. In summary, then, I, I think it's fair to say that the Holmes D&D booklet provides a very good introduction to how to play a role-playing game. Um, okay, it's fairly restrictive in that it only covers character levels 1 to 3, 
but everything is in there to get you up and running with the spell descriptions included and the monster um, stats and descriptions included to cover those levels and maybe also include some monsters from slightly above those levels to challenge a larger party. So I think they did a good job at the time and it's certainly, uh, it's certainly a game system that I, I certainly could enjoy running I think or even playing in from time to time. You've been listening to Shandy Andy's Unguarded Treasure. If you'd like to contact me, please drop me a message on Anchor. Email me at shandyandy at gmail.com or possibly find me hanging around at Audio Dungeon Discord channel. B-52 B-52 down the Atlanta Highway Looking for a love getaway Heading for a love getaway I got me a car, it's as big as a whale And we're heading on down for the love shack For? I got me a Chrysler, it sits about 20 So hurry up and bring your jukebox money The love shack is a little old place where we can get together Love Shack Baby A Love Shack Baby B-52 B-52